I will deliver a bold plan to cut taxes and grow our economy. I will deliver on the energy crisis, dealing with people's energy bills, but also dealing with the long-term issues we have on energy supply. Liz Truss, what do you make of her first few days in power? Because it wasn't exactly what she was planning. I think it's hard to tell at this point. So she's already announced that next week there's going to be a, a fiscal event. And with the, the death of the Queen, um, everything else has kind of, I guess, been submerged in that within a new cycle. She's been dealt a really terrible hand. Actually, she wasn't dealt it. She chose to be dealt this hand, to be honest. So let's not have any sympathy in it. She wanted this job. She knew what she was inheriting. She knew that she was inheriting a political crisis, um, a constitutional crisis in many ways, with the Queen dying now and and Charles coming coming up. So, I mean, she knew the Queen was sick when she went for it. There's an inflation crisis as well. There's a war. So instead of getting stuck into that long list of problems, she's had to, well, pivot and change her tone. We are all devastated by the news that we have just heard from Balmoral. The death of Her Majesty the Queen is a huge shock to the nation and to the world. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and today on The Detail, who is the new British Prime Minister? I'll talk to David Jenkins, a lecturer in political theory at Otago University. But let's look at how she got there with Lloyd Burr. He's Today FM's Drive Time host and former Europe correspondent for News Hub. She's given a few speeches which are just bonkers when you think about what she says. She's trying to tap into that whole make England, make Britain great again. I think that was, you know, great Britain. Britain is great, great for trade. There was all that kind of campaign as well. And some of her speeches about we want we want Britain to be the apple at the top of the tree. From the apples that dropped on Isaac Newton's head to the orchards of nursery rhymes, this fruit has always been part of Britain. It's been part of our country. So just some really bizarre kind of speeches. In a fortnight, I'm going to Paris for the world's largest food trade fair and I will be bigging up British products. In December, I'll be in Beijing opening up new pork markets. People in the audience didn't even clap or cheer. They were just kind of going, what the heck? So did you ever expect her to be in this position? No, not at all. Not. I actually thought that the Conservative Party membership were way smarter than that. Now, remember she wasn't picked by the public. It was the Conservative Party, and that's a tiny tiny bit of the British electorate that voted in Liz Truss. Two months was spent during all these calamitous events, the, the war in Ukraine, the, the, the rising energy crisis, to appeal to a tiny selectorate. Uh, the amount of people who voted for her, 80,000, constitutes 0.1% of the British electorate. You've got Rishi Sunak, who's incredibly smart. He's onto it. He was Chancellor of the Exchequer. He's got some good ideas. Eat Out to Help Out was one of them. He did lots of kind of stuff during COVID when you couldn't really do much. I think he was quite onto it as the Chancellor, whereas I, I just don't know, I didn't see the appeal in Liz Trust, to be honest. And so when, I, when all the polls came out that, that she was going to beat him by a landslide, even though it didn't eventuate to be a landslide, but I couldn't believe it. I thought, what the heck's wrong with these people? Is it, does it, is it just the fact that they're all racist and they didn't want someone of Indian 
background to be the prime minister, or do they do they actually sort of believe in Liz Truss's rhetoric in which she is the new Thatcher? Well, that's so fascinating, that whole Thatcher thing, isn't it? That she dresses like her sometimes, the furry Russian hat and the white blouse with the big bow in front, exactly the same outfit as Margaret Thatcher. And sometimes she even sounds like her. Mm, I feel like she's she's lowered her voice an octave as well. She's pretty much opened up the Maggie Thatcher playbook and she's just going through it step by step. You see it with all the photo ops she's had. There's been some of her in a tank, like a military tank, and that's what Thatcher did as well. There's, I mean, lots of lots of the clothing choices as well. It's very Thatchery. I'm just waiting for her hair to go up in a big, um, whatever you call that hairstyle with lots yeah. of hair. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm waiting for the bouffant to happen when she rocks out of in Downing Street with a big bouffant with a, a can of hairspray that's that's made it like that. It's, and it's no secret that she's a big fan of Maggie Thatcher in a way that Boris was a big fan and idolised Winston Churchill. If you look at her body language there, she was doing the Thatcher lean across yes. the dispatch box. She was doing the high eyebrows. She was doing the staccato blink. The difference is, is that Maggie Thatcher was an incredible conviction politician. She made a decision and she stuck with it. She could stand on her own, whereas Liz Truss, I think she wants to be someone instead of doing something. And that's a that's a famous quote that Thatcher said. Well, it used to be about trying to do something. Now it's about trying to be someone. I think Liz Truss wants to be someone instead of doing something. So it's <laughs> hilarious that she's now in this position and she's modelling herself on Thatcher when Thatcher would probably look at her and go, weak, weak woman. <laughs> I just, you know, you can see it. And that's what we've got. I mean, maybe I'm being a bit too harsh. That's the thing though, Lloyd, because I've, I've seen a lot of negative stuff and heard a lot of negative comments about Liz Trust over the last, you know, few days, few weeks. I don't see or hear a lot of positive stuff. Hmm. I mean, that might be just because we're um, a negative media or it might just be because there's actually not that many positives that we've seen yet. And I'm not saying there won't be positives. There probably will be. There'll be some good policy announcements and she'll do some good stuff. And and the proof of that we'll, we'll see over the next few months, right? If she really is as good as she thinks she is, then, then we're going to see what she can do to get Britain through this quite tumultuous time that they're about to go through over the next year or so. What do you make of the appearances that she has made over the last few days, have they been slightly awkward given she once said that she was anti-monarchy? Well, she didn't once say it. She's been saying it for a while. There's a few video clips of her when she was a lot younger. One of them is at a, in a lecture theatre in which she's giving a speech about it, saying... Everybody in Britain should have the chance to be a somebody. But only one family can provide the head of state... We Liberal Democrats believe in opportunity for all. We do not believe that people should be born to rule. I don't know. You've got to forgive people for decisions they make back then or, or views that they hold and they can change. She might have changed now. It was very weird when you put that performance when she was a, a teenager or a young adult. You juxtapose that with the speech she gave outside Number 10, which pretty much announced that the Queen was dead and that King Charles would be known as King Charles III. We usher in a new era in the magnificent history of our great country, exactly as Her Majesty would have wished, by saying the words, God save the King. She turns around and walks off. You're like, well, hang on, this person who's now a Prime Minister in her youth 
wanted to abolish the monarchy. She mm. must have that back of her head still going, right? So there's that aspect of it. Then you see the way she curtsies. This is when she went to see King Charles III for the first time. You're about to see Prime Minister. It's a moment I've been dreading, mm. as, as I know a lot of people have. Go and have a look at a curtsy, because I, you probably couldn't describe it as a curtsy. It kind of looks like she's having a bit of um, her legs having a bit of a spasm. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to think maybe she still does have these anti-monarchy leanings. She wants to abolish the monarchy. Maybe that's going to be something that she'll want to do in her lifetime. Mm. I don't know. When she says, God save the king, and when she's at the proclamation of King Charles III standing there representing the government in his name, it's hard to put all those pieces together. I mean, a lot can be read into a begrudging curtsy, can't it, Lloyd? <laughs> Would you call it a begrudging? That's quite a good way to describe it. Well, also, and so, like, it's, it's a bit of a shame if, if Queen Elizabeth II's last Prime Minister, her 15th Prime Minister that she swore in, is an anti-monarchist, and then two days later the Queen dies. I think that's just quite sad in terms of history. But also, you'd think, you know, she's got a heck of a lot more on her plate than trying to get rid of the monarchy. Does everything have to be on hold at the moment until the funeral is is finished and everything is settled down? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, you're in 10 days of mourning. Parliament won't be sitting and there won't be any laws and stuff going through while you're in those 10 days of mourning. There'll be planning and stuff going on in the background because surely Liz Truss will have to... She's got to find a way to deliver some of the promises that she's got and there's the energy price freeze I think she's going to roll out as well. So there's all that will be going on in the background, just not officially she won't be announcing it. Another thing to point out, though, is that there have been prime ministers in the past who have been Republicans, who have been anti-monarchy. Tony Blair had very, you know, he, he was the great moderniser, remember? He, mm. he had anti-leaning, so did Cherie Blair. But then he came in and, and then he kind of, was the great saviour of the monarchy in 1997 when all that Princess Diana stuff happened. And then he got very fond of the Queen, and now he's probably one of the biggest champions of the monarchy. So you, Prime Ministers, over the course, they can come in with, with their ideology, but I think over the course of the Prime Ministership, it can change. I suppose that's populism, is it? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was just the thing that the Queen did, is that once you'd met her and got to know her, you became fond of her and you realised that, wow, I really respect her institution. And... I, you know, I'm I'm forming a government in her name. You get to meet her, you talk to her about it, you realise how knowledgeable she is about everything. So she had a, maybe it was the Queen that had a good way of con- of convincing people through her soft power to to back the monarchy. Will Charles have that ability and that power? I don't know. But speaking of Liz Truss's flip-flopping over the monarchy, we really don't know what she thinks about it, but her stance on Brexit has also changed radically. In the 2016 Brexit referendum, she backed the government position that Britain should stay in the EU. But as soon as the vote to leave was announced, she became an enthusiastic convert. She flip-flopped on lots of things. And maybe it's just because she's a politician. And this is why I said she's not a conviction politician. She's the ultimate flip-flopper. And maybe it is. Maybe it does come down to populism or jobs she's been promised, or goodness knows what. But, you know, po- politics is full of promising jobs. And mm. Boris might have been like, "Well, leave sign, and when I'm prime minister, I'll make you trade minister or foreign minister." And so then she would have flop- flip flopped on that. So I just—that's why I find it hard to pinpoint what she stands for when she doesn't actually know what she stands for herself. Would she make any kind of difference to the New Zealand UK relationship? I think that's probably the one thing that it could be good for this is 
because she flip-flopped on Brexit and now supports Brexit and she would like us to pivot. She wants the UK to pivot back to its original partners, New Zealand, Australia's, your Canada's. She's a fan of Kanzuk, I think. And she wants to pivot to the Pacific, pivot to the Commonwealth. So I think it could be quite good for that. She has worked on the New Zealand-UK free trade deal, so she knows that well. She's worked on the Aussie one. So I think it's probably quite good for us if there was any silver lining from this. It, it is that maybe there'll be better visa access, maybe with the Kansas agreement, which is kind of it's lobbying for freedom of movement or easier migration settings. Things like that could get a little bit easier. Mm. But right now, it's mainly domestic focus. What has come about, though, is the price freeze on energy. So it's been frozen at uh, £2,500 for the typical household. Political theory expert David Jenkins is talking to me from his home in London, which he's about to leave to live in Dunedin. Just uh, judging her on that particular uh, policy, I think that was the right move. I think in some respects it was the only move she had to make. A lot of people are terrified by were terrified and and still are going to be worried about what was coming down the pipe for them. So it was the right move, but it was for the wrong reasons. And she isn't making any kind of uh, longer term plan within the breathing room that this, this, you know, this massive package is going to buy for her. There is no signal there. There's going to be a longer term plan towards, you know, the use of renewables, the move away from fossil fuels. The cabinet she's chosen is very much aligned with the fossil fuel industry. And so in terms of that particular policy, fine in terms of what's kind of been signaled for the months and you know potentially two years ahead yeah it doesn't look hopeful but we'll we'll see we'll see what this fiscal event that she's talking about will kind of amount to but she's promised tax cuts and that is not something that even you know experts of the orthodoxy are um, pushing for she was planning to kick off immediately but of course the queen's death has postponed it do you think this is an opportunity for her to rethink things, or is she on this path now? This this is the thing. You can imagine someone like Boris Johnson. His ideology is is all about the brand that is Boris Johnson, whereas what we have with Truss is a far more to the bone libertarian. So the evolution that she went through as a as a politician is kind of telling in that regard. She's not really well known within the um, popular imagination. But what she is, is a savvy political mover. So she was able to maintain a certain connection with Boris Johnson, which I think is, has been very important for her winning the support of the, at least a part of the membership. Mm. But in terms of where she stands at kind of an ideological level, she is going to be for tax cuts. She is going to be for stripping regulation out of workers' regulations. There's a, there's a huge wave of industrial activism that's hitting the country right now, including um, barristers, you know, hardly the kind of people you can dismiss as kind of Marxist thugs. And so there is going to be um, a kind of an ideological agenda, which is going to be about tax cuts, the stripping of uh, regulations for workers, attacks on the judiciary, attacks on EU regulations, as well as our civil service. So there's no desire to change course. What she wants to construct is a politics of collision courses that she can then use to antagonize and divide to her political benefit, to the benefit of her party. And for all the kind of the, the talk of you know this being a fractious party, the Tories have always been very disciplined around, um, around their leaders and about sticking with them. It took a lot for them to move against Johnson, you know, someone who is, I think, um, you know, spectacularly incompetent as far as his kind of um, political credentials go. And and what do you make of 
the way she's been, I suppose, in, in the days since the death of the Queen? Because it's sort of an awkward role that she's been in. It's not something that she's comfortable with. No. Well, that's the thing. She, she doesn't seem very comfortable just in her own body. She's known as a kind of Instagram politician. So everything's very polished. Everything is taken with a view to how this is going to play to the membership, to the wider to the wider public, how it's going to be mediated through the right-wing media. So she is good at crafting a persona. And so I wonder, I think maybe it takes away certain um, of the limelight away from the cabinet, and but I can see how that would be an advantage for her. But maybe also there's a way in which it's kind of stealing her thunder and next week with this fiscal event is a way for her to recover some of this limelight and, and get back to making the case for the, the conservative fiscal recovery and everything else. What are people saying about her there? I mean, I've read a lot and there's a lot of satire about her, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) But what are they saying? From the polls, what you can gather is that most people are pretty um, unpersuaded. 12% think she's going to be a good PM. 50% of Brits are disappointed she is the prime minister. So, I mean, when you look at 220,000 people in the Conservative Party, you know, the kind of the members... And these are primarily rural, they're white, they're male, they're old. They skew very kind of socially conservative. Uh, there was a statistic that only 4% of them thought the climate crisis was a priority. So it kind of it shows you how far they are from the median voter. So she's going to have to perform a pretty important shift away from playing to this gallery um, with its particular concerns and priorities to the, um, to the median voter, to the people that she's going to have to win over if she wants to win again in two years or if she, you know, if she doesn't want to face a a kind of crisis in confidence. So that's what she needs to do. And I think the way she's going to do that is by, like I said, constructing this politics of collision courses where she can look to labor activism and she can say, you know, it's these guys over here who are the problem. I mean, I I don't see how else she can kind of maintain that that balance between the membership on the one hand, her her own um, party in parliament on the other, and then the median voter, the, the wider electorate. So you, you could also say that here's an opportunity this week for uniting the country in grief, kind of for, for leading the country through this process at the moment, which which could be in her favour. Certainly, yeah. I'm not a royalist. I don't know how to phrase this in, a, in as polite a way as possible, but there's a lot of, I mean, I'd call it hysteria, but there's a lot of grief and there's a lot of sense in which, you know, this is when Brits come together around what it means to be a Brit. That There's a lack of reflection going on at the moment, quite frankly, around an institution that does need to be more deeply reflected on, I think. And so, yes, she can definitely play that to her advantage. It would be bizarre not to, really. I mean, this is on a plate for her, the, the amount of nationalist fervor that can be kind of generated out of, of this event um, is is significant. So it would be unusual for her not to. But mm-hmm. how long, one, once this period of mourning is over and the country gets used to King Charles III, how long will Brits give trust to start making things happen? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's, and it's, a, it's a sense of, you know, what the British public is going to take as a sign of action. Again, I do think this this energy freeze is going to is going to help people, especially small businesses. Small businesses were really pushed to the wall. You go around mid-sized towns in in this country, and it's amazing how many shops are just just really struggling. At the moment, our gas bill is is just over five hundred pounds a month. It's going to be over six thousand pounds a month. 
um, which is just, that means we're going to have to close the door. He's got a lot of work ahead of her and um, really need really need her to prove to prove to me what she's going to do to help me keep the doors open on my business. So how much time will they give her? Um, again, there's just so much that is kind of out of her hands. You know, is Putin going to turn off the gas? How is this labor activism going to play itself out? Is labor going to turn itself into a kind of effective opposition? Is Starmer going to kind of, you know, blow her away during prime minister's question time? She's kind of inherited such a difficult conjunctural set of crises at the moment with so I'll, I'll just give you, there's the NHS workers, sanitation workers, Royal Mail, firefighters, I said the barristers as well. All these people, all these workers are, are coming out with a possible industrial action. So um, she's going to be trying to, I guess, just just keep her footing, I think, and just make sure that um, she can sustain this balance between party and membership and electorate. It, it's just hard to say. I think there's so much that is out of her hands that it's going to be a lot of reaction. It's energy prices, it's cost of living, it's the war just over the um, English Channel in Eastern Europe. So mm. I think all of the, the problems at home will be the ones that dominate her rather than the nice-to-haves, like pivoting back to the Commonwealth. It'll take a few years, I think, if that, for it to get any kind of momentum. I read um, a comment from Anna Sobri, who served with Liz Truss in the May, the Theresa May cabinet. She said she was the most ambitious person many people had encountered. I, I honestly mm. believe she was given jobs, ministerial promotions, just to shut her up. Wow. There's, see, there's a difference between ambition and talent. And she, she may be ambitious, but you've got to have the goods to back it up. And that's what she's going to have to prove over the next two years. In fact, you can't actually prove it if you don't have the talent. That's what the public will eventually see when she's put in tricky situations, when she has to answer the hard questions. That's when you're going to know whether she's got the talent to back up that ambition. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Bonnie Harrison, Sarah Robson and Mark Jennings. And thanks to Lloyd Burr and David Jenkins. Mā te wā. 